That Naturopathic Podcast, TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. It's Dr. David Miller here with Michelle Pobega and Dee. What's up? Hey, Dave. How are you? Good, good. What's happening? Uh, just sipping my coffee, you know, pre-talk, talking about poop and yeah. digestive parasites. organs, parasites and hepatic flexors, hepatic flexors and splenic flexors. Because, you know, that's just casual conversations with us. Yeah. No who are we deal. talking? Who are we going to casually talk to? Today? Well, the reason these things came up is because we have the lovely Allison Jordan, and she actually is a manual therapist and functional diagnostic nutrition practitioner who helps women get free from their IBS, acid reflux, and constipation without having to be stuck on extremely restricted diets, which uh, we respect and appreciate. And But that's why we're talking about the manual stuff, because she's a manual therapist, and her and Dave are intertwined in that world and that's and that's how we got to meet this lovely human so we get to chat with her today so welcome allison thanks so much for coming on the show hey guys it's lovely to be here yeah sounds like we've been one up we've been one up in the mic game today too michelle i know she's got like a she's got a whole thing going on presence on the mic and a nice mic too my husband has a background in doing av audiovisual and so this is his setup for me that's amazing. She like she looks like she's like in a professional singer's recording booth with the thing that I guess like helps with the sound. There's like that filter, pre-filter for the mic. Pretty much makes 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 sure I don't blow anybody out with my P's or my B's, <laughs> something like that. Is that what that does? That's amazing. It, 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 when, when an air blast, but that's oh, yeah. that is not low FODMAPs. No. So I'll try not to talk about it too much. Okay, so uh, I met Allison at uh, a visceral manipulation for PEDS course, and I cried when I uh, saw her daughter because she's so cute, and I was missing my little guy. And then I just realized Allison's really cool because you can sort of tell who's cool, right? And then, uh, <laughs> and then she she came up to me, said, "So I hear you're a gut, you're kind of a gut guy," and and uh, and I felt good because at those courses I always feel like the least qualified person because I'm an naturopath doing all these manual therapy courses with, you know, manual therapists. Um, and so that was cool. And so uh, Allison said, we should chat because I got a podcast too. And she has sort of come like our Venn diagrams really overlap because she's come from manual therapy to sort of uh, like the naturopathic realm of influence or whatever through functional medicine. And, and then um, I've come to her sort of uh, area of expertise, manual therapy from seeing some of the um, opportunities, let's say for growth in my naturopathic practice. So um, we overlap and, and, uh, and of course we had to talk about diet and nutrition because she does, what, is it better belly therapies? Is that, is that the my name? business? Yeah. Yep. 
I, nice. my business is better belly therapies. My podcast is the better belly podcast. So a little cross pollination here. Check that one out too. I love a little bit of an alliter- alliteration. Is that what it is when you have yeah, like, it's alliteration. It's good. See, sometimes ten, it works. The English, it's in there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Allison, again, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, what do you, what are we going to talk about today? Cause we could talk about so many things like hepatic mm. flexures, spinal flexures, the inter connections between physical and biochemical perspectives on health and guts and all that. But what are we going to talk about? Today, we're going to talk about the three steps you can take to get off the low FODMAP diet. Yes. To get off the... What a brave woman. What a brave woman. What do you yeah. think? Of the, what do you think the low... Let, let's hear... Let's just hear, get it straight from... Straight off the top. Um, what's your sort of thoughts on the FODMAP diet? You know, pluses, minuses. Sort of like, what's your experience with it? Just give us, a, give us what you think, because you're allowed to say whatever you think on it. No, this is good. And, you know... Also, I want to keep in mind, a lot of people who are looking up low FODMAPs are actually thinking that you maybe can't get off it or they're trying to figure out how to how to even just figure it out to begin with. So I even want to just start with a quick framework on like what's the low FODMAP awesome. diet, because there is like there's there's something cool behind it. There It didn't become prominent for no reason. Right. It was developed in uh, by Monash University in Melbourne, Australia. And there were all these nutritionists, dietitian researchers, and they found that if you removed certain sugars from the diet of people who had IBS, as well as um, diagnoses that are have similar symptoms of IBS, so endometriosis or celiac disease, things that have this constipation and gas and bloating and abdominal distension and pain, if you if you got rid of certain carbs and sugars from their from their diet, it massively reduced their symptoms. And then they, as they did more research, they found based off the low FODMAP diet, they said you need a, you have a, it's a two phase intervention. Sounds super simple, right? Two phase intervention. Part A is two to six weeks where you have a really strict elimination of these sugars and carbs that they've identified. And after those two to six weeks of strictly avoiding those, and that's the low FODMAP. So you're you're taking in a very low amount of these specific sugars. You can then have a reintroduction phase. And the idea is that you kind of get yourself away from these inflammatory foods for your body. You then can induce a healing state for that two to six week period. They notice that there's some improvement possibly in other pathogens like SIBO also reducing because they don't have these foods to eat and thrive on. And that after that two to six week period, you can then start to reintroduce foods because the inflammation's down, you've established a healing process and the pathogen theoretically has reduced so much that it's it's not going to come back online when you reintroduce foods, which is kind of like the idea behind it. The problem is, is that people are getting stuck on the low FODMAP diet. That's the problem. And so you're going to people. So my introduction to the low FODMAP was me personally being put on it in 2015 when I was having massive IBS problems and it's kind of become a cool thing. It's a relatively free, cheap, doable thing for a hospital to, to implement. They just, they were already sending people with IBS to nutritionists and they just tell the nutritionists, just start putting them on the low FODMAP diet because it's kind of the cool hip thing right now. And, and then it, people aren't getting better. And so I wasn't getting better and I was on the low FODMAP diet for like a year and a half. And what? I tried to get, off. yeah, yeah, yeah. R- right. I tried to get off of it multiple times and couldn't. And I, 
the nutritionist I was working with was basically saying I must have been doing it wrong. She, which is just insulting. Like yeah, yeah. maybe some people will do it wrong, but there's a certain point where could you have an open mindedness to sit, even consider <laughs> that there be maybe, a flaw in your plan? Could there? Yeah. So yeah. I just remember she would point at her wall. She's like, well, this has a, you know, like products in, in, in produce on this wall of hers. And she, are you eating this? Are you eating this? And she just grilled me. I'm like, all these things. No, I'm not eating these foods that have FODMAPs. Like, right. well, anyways. And so basically I was like, there's gotta be a better way. And through that, that frustration and, um, and determination, honestly, I became a massage therapist. I was exposed to cranial craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, which we're going to talk about here in a sec. They do play into getting off the low FODMAP diet. Cool. Um, and yeah. <laughs> and, and then after that, I also started getting exposed to functional medicine, doing functional lab testing, stool testing, finding things like parasites and pathogens in my body, et cetera. Mm. And, and then you just realize there's a better way than low FODMAP and low FODMAP working in it of itself is merely pointing to the dysfunction in the body. And it's more like a bandaid. Like, so, yeah. and a, one thing I meant to mention is, okay, what does FODMAP stand for? Cause that also will help people understand things. You don't really have to know exactly what all the sugars are, but the first word in FODMAP is fermentable, fermentable oligosaccharides, disaccharides, monosaccharides, and polyols. And so basically they're sugars that are fermenting in your gut. Well, plenty of people, plenty of people, you, Dave, Michelle, me are eating these sugars like apples. Apples are high in FODMAPs, right? Um, we're eating these sugars on a daily basis and not getting this fermentation. The fermentation is because there are three things missing in the body, or maybe you could say two things missing and one thing present, which has to do with the three secrets to getting off of the low FODMAP, right? The three steps. But it's that fermentation process that's happening that's giving the person gas and bloating and inflammation and leaky gut. And then they're absorbing toxins in their bloodstream and they're feeling fatigued and everything's downhill from there. So yeah, yeah totally. Oh my God, there's so, much to, there's so much we could unpack from what you've, you've said there, like from your story already. Uh, I don't want to divert us too much. Mm -mm. I think the biggest take home with FODPAPs, and I think, flubbling over my words, I think Dave and I can, can agree with is that it's, it's a little bit too simplistic where the digestive system has so many moving parts. And so to just have this one thing doesn't actually take into consideration all those other things that all have to work in cohesion. So, I mean, that's what my take-home message has always been about FODMAPs. It can be a part of a therapeutic plan, but it's not the therapeutic plan. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, it can be, yeah, a part of a more comprehensive, you could say, yeah. uh, approach to at least assessing too. And that's Allison. What one thing I, I think that's good about it is um, as a kind of like assessment uh, mm -hmm. by treating when, when you say you did a FODMAPs diet and someone improves, that tells you something now. Absolutely. And I think, I think the key probably will end up repeating this sort of key here is that if you find yourself on a FODMAPs diet for a year and a half, you know, th then, okay, something, something has to be, um, you know, troubleshoot, some troubleshooting has to come in there. But if you did improve, I like this is where I think I'm I'm sort of torn on it because there's really good things about it too. Like if you mm -hmm. did improve in a couple of weeks, well, that tells you you've 
you've got a fermentation problem, right? Yes. So, and and then the and then the big question is, if that two to six week period does not heal you, what's not being addressed or thought about by at least the nutritionists and the people who are implementing the low FODMAP typically with their patients is what else is causing this fermentation? Because again, these foods are not evil. They were, I mean. I'm actually, yeah, exactly. I, I could get on the bandwagon of like gluten's going in a bad direction. Like we might be able to say like gluten and grains, I'm, I'm grain free. Like there's a little bit more right. of a, of a direction of this is maybe on the side of yeah. evil. Like apples are not evil. <laughs> Watermelon's day not keeps evil. The doctor away. Whatever happened to that? Unless you're going right. to eat Peanuts are not Bond evil. Mass. Yeah. Apples so. is one of the first foods according to Adam and Eve. Like that can't be bad. <laughs> it so goes funny. way back, you guys. <laughs> Right. And so, and then people are, you can't have beans. Beans are so hot, so healthy in so many other ways. I was just talking with another health practitioner yesterday about how beans have soluble fiber, which can help absorb toxins and excess hormones in your body and balance you out. And I said, yeah, but they're high in FODMAPs. So you can throw someone on beans thinking, oh, they're a generally healthy thing. And that person's going to feel worse. Same Mm -hmm. with broccoli, cruciferous veggies. Yeah. So it's, it's more so that the food itself is not evil, but it's the container the food's going into, the body. Ooh, I like that. Is, right. Yep. And, and that's being ignored on the whole by a lot of people in conventional medicine. So what was right your here. experience? Like you're on it for, you're on uh, FODMAPS diet for a year and a half. Uh, you didn't that's really a go commitment, into deep, man. That is, it is. She's, that's not an easy diet, you guys. <laughs> no, she's determined, she said. So, so our determined Allison, what, what happens in that year and a half? Like it's, it's actually great when it happens to people like you, no offense. I'm actually saying this in, in a way, cause it makes for a better experiment. Cause I'd go after three weeks, I'd go, okay, I'm out. I can't do this. But we we have determined people like you, it makes for good scientific experiments. What happened in that year and a half? Can you recall sort of what, like, you know, where you started at and, and sort of the things that happened in that year and a half where you're like, come on, I'm not eating these. What's going on? Ugh. Um, let me back up to what was happening prior, right prior okay. to, okay. um, in March of 2015, I went to India for a week and I'd been tra- traveled internationally before. Um, but I came back and about three months later, I was noticing I couldn't sleep at night. Like I would, I would fall asleep tired, but then I would wake up in the middle of the night, wake up multiple times. And then I just be awake. And I was like, okay, I've got some crazy insomnia problems going on. And I don't remember. I actually, no, I do remember I was eating breakfast one morning and it was a bowl of cereal. And the job I had at the time started later in the afternoon. So morning was like my off time. So I ate a bowl of cereal with milk. And then I noticed that I got sleepy after eating the cereal. And so I'm like, what if it's dairy? <laughs> and I'm not a health person, right? I actually, I went to school for English. Like I have an English major. I was working with a nonprofit in a college situation with leadership, students in leadership and like food, like health was not my thing. Like mm-hmm. it was just a normal human being who liked to run marathons. Right. And so I'm like, what's going on with this milk? I take it out and my insomnia massively improves. Well, about a month later, I start noticing I'm getting m- horrible gas and bloating and like gas to the point that I was on a bus with a group of students in my leadership program in Chicago and I farted and somebody goes, oh, the sewage system in 
Chicago is so oh bad, right? And I was like, oh, but I knew that was me, right? right. Oh God. And usually you can try to avoid it by other means, but I was stuck. So thank goodness that the Chicago sewage system got blamed, <laughs> right? So it's really bad. And I'm like, I don't know what to do because I'm starting to check all my foods. Am I accidentally eating dairy? Because at this point, I'm like, it's just the dairy. And so I'm like, where? I'm like, I can't find dairy in anything that I'm eating. And I'm losing my mind. And I happen to go and do this trip, two-week trip to another location. And I meet someone who's on the low FODMAP diet. And it blows my mind because I'm eating the same food he's eating because they've altered like the the people the, the food that's being cooked is actually being it's in a group's communal situation and it fits his diet. And I'm like, my symptoms are gone at the end of that, the first week. And I'm mm. like, this is amazing. And so I'm like, uh, that's it. I'm on the low FODMAP diet. I'm going to heal myself. By the way, I had actually not gone to a ton of doctors at this point because it's only about five to six months of feeling poorly. And also my dad's a doctor. And I just know if you don't have enough data to even give to your doctor, like they're just not going to know what your problem is. So I'm like, I'll just try a bunch of stuff out before I like show up at a doctor's office right. and say, hey, I feel horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm on this low FODMAP diet. I'm doing it really strictly. And I don't, I actually didn't understand that it's like two to six weeks. I probably was on it for three months before I showed up at a doctor's office, at which point it was a gastroenterologist. This would have been like late 2015 in September, October. And they send me to a nutritionist who then tells me I'm doing it wrong. And I'm like, look, lady, I'm not doing it wrong. <laughs> um and then I also am sent to a pelvic floor therapist who happens to know craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. Oh, neat. That's, where, that's where things get interesting, interesting, right? But I don't get off the low FODMAP diet immediately because I've got this nutritionist on me who says I'm doing it wrong. And it's the only thing that's made me feel better. And I'm kind of committed to feeling better. And it's from her that I learned, actually, I should be able to get off this sucker. And why am I not being, why am I not being able to get off of the low FODMAP diet? Right. And so that... What I what happened in the background, even though my symptoms were mitigated, they were also getting worse in in other areas. And it and there was a point at that year and a half mark where everything was worse. And I no matter how strict I was on the low FODMAP diet, it was worse. Um, mm-hmm. I started making my own kombucha. Bad idea. It made things worse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I now know why. But yeah. I was just like, oh, probiotics. I was taking yeah. really high quality probiotics. I didn't realize they were making things worse. Uh, I like to say probiotics are like adding civilians to a war zone if <laughs> if you have a pathogen, which I did and no one checked for, um, or at least they didn't check well. And that has to do with the other thing of like how, how lab tests are done and what they are like in conventional medicine in America. But um, I don't know what they're quite like in Canada. All that being said, I was losing a ton of weight. I was stiff every morning. And actually, I think about that. Um, Dave, in terms of what we've learned about when you're stiff in the morning, I'm a gymnast too, by the way, like gymnast background. And I was very flexible at the time prior to getting sick. So it wasn't like I wasn't keeping up on my stretches. I would just wake up with a stiff back and be in pain. Right. right? And that actually was because my venous system was so impaired. Mm. Um, that's a separate thing, but it can't, it's going to connect to the three secrets to getting off low FODMAP, but I was stiff. I was losing weight. I was super skinny. I was really tired all the time, daytime and nighttime, because now I wasn't getting the nutrients I needed. I had leaky gut and I didn't know it. Well, I assumed I did. I had pathogens and I didn't know that. And, uh, it was just horrible. Like I didn't, I didn't feel good. And there was a point where I was on the low FODMAP and I was was still getting gassed and bloating though. It was clearly worse when I went back on it 
and try to reintroduce yeah. anything. So I just felt right. like I was in, I was stuck. There was yeah. I, no move was a good move at a certain point. Yeah. It's Ugh. a very frustrating place to be. As someone who suffered from IBS, I understand your pain. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's 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 wild. You're, you think you're doing all the right things. I thought I was doing all the right things. I was like gluten-free and dairy-free and, and probiotics all the time. And I felt like I was three months pregnant by the end of the day, every day. And I was and like, you feel is- like, you feel like you're doing something wrong and it's super yeah. demoralizing yeah. and, yeah. and also kind of makes your brain feel like it's breaking. Cause, cause you're, yeah. you just feel suspicious of everything. You don't trust yeah. food. So yep. it was a very downhill decline, yeah. even though my symptoms, these like almost top level symptoms were mitigated. They weren't even gone. They were just like, not as bad as they could be. <laughs> Yeah, so. I'll use this saying anytime I can. It was like comparing shit to diarrhea. You know what I mean? Like it was it was bad, but not as bad as it could have been. Yeah. I mean, right. that's a pretty low bar. Yeah. But it but and you're putting all that work in to get that little bit of benefit, right? Like that's that's it. That's, that's when it gets and you're being sapped of energy and cognitive slash willpower at the same time. So now we come to the point in the story where hopefully there's like a point of inflection and something changes. Yes. Yeah. And, and and for me, it was slower because I didn't know all the steps. I didn't, I was almost, there was some intuition. There was some luck. There was actually a fair amount of luck in my Mm. story. Um, but now with the clients that I work with and, and for the people listening to the podcast, when you hear these steps, you're going to be like, oh, it's either sounds obvious or it can be quick. It can be so quick um, compared to what I had to do because I had two years of trying to figure out these three steps. Number one, you're going to want to improve motility if there's a motility problem. And often there is. And motility is the natural movement of your gut to move, move food from point A, your mouth, to point B, out of your body. And there's a n- natural motion to it can be called peristalsis is another sciencey term for it. But if your motility is off, then food slows in the transit and it gets stuck and it can get stuck in lots of different places. Everything from, oh, I get pain when I swallow food. And it feels like it gets stuck in my esophagus. Um, it can get stuck in the stomach. You're going to have quick feelings of fullness, overly full very quickly, even though you kind of vaguely feel hungry because you're still lacking nutrients. If it gets stuck in the small intestines, you're going to more often get that bacterial overgrowth. And so it's more set up for skinning SIBO. You're going to get huge bloating, abdominal pain and distension, gas. Um, and then and then the large intestine, which is going to be pretty similar to the small intestine. Um, other than the fact that it's not, you actually have bacteria in the large intestine that should be there, but they're still going to kind of overeat on this food because it's not moving out of the body. You're also going to be more prone to constipation, though you can you can still get diarrhea. And if, and you can then, this is part of how you get that diarrhea constipation flip. Cause you might have a motility problem, but then you have something else like pushing the diarrhea. So then you'll just like flip flop and get both one or the other, any given moment or day. And so, um, what the, what happened is I went and saw a pelvic floor therapist cause they thought, well, maybe she doesn't know how to poop, <laughs> which is like maybe a thing. Like, there's there's mechanics to pooping but I was like but I was able to poop before this like did I just forget how to poop in like nine months (laughs) right yeah so they're testing me and they're like well she her muscles are fine you know balloon bag you know the the balloon therapy and all this stuff and and the therapist is like well I just learned she was literally only had cranial one and visceral one Dave knows what this is it's like the the initial courses and like 
a minimum of four courses that would make someone good, right? Really, really yeah. good. She'd only have the first level and she starts doing these techniques because she's like, I don't know what else to do. I'm actually friends with this therapist now. Um, and I've had her, like, we've talked about this and she's like, I literally didn't know what else to do with you. So I just did this, these techniques <laughs> and it helped my nervous system come back online. So release mm. restrictions around my nervous system that nice. talks to my gut and helps send those signals more clearly to my gut. And then she helped release restrictions around the organs so the organs could rotate when they got those signals. So some people, when they have a motility problem, even if they're meditating, because people know about like, oh, you want to have rest and digest. You want to be calm to digest, right? So people are praying and meditating and all this stuff, and it's not helping their motility of their gut or they're taking probiotics, right? Sometimes it's physical. That's it. You need to get physical work. You need to get the physical, you're at least your body evaluated, at least evaluated to consider, is there a component where I've had concussive histories of like falling on, on ice while ice skating and bonking Mm. my head. I'm an ex gymnast. I've hit my head so many times. It's ridiculous. So it's going to affect your vagus nerve, which comes out of your skull and traveling down your body and the communication your vagus nerve is getting from your gut and then to your gut, same with the spinal cord. So, and then on the same, same side with the organs, your organs can get restricted from getting rear ended. Even if, even if it was less than 30 miles an hour, you know, difference, if someone rear ends you, you can get restrictions around your liver. You can get restrictions around your small intestine and the root that actually connects your small intestine to your body, right? you actually can, if you get low back pain and you have gut health problems, you want to get your small intestine and something called your mesenteric root checked out by someone who does visceral manipulation. So if you are listening to this and you're like, motility, probably sounds like a problem because I'm stuck in low FODMAP diet and I can't digest and all this stuff. I have a free download that actually helps you find a good craniosacral therapist and visceral manipulation practitioner near you. And like evaluate it, not just like find someone, but like, how do I evaluate if this person is trustworthy? Um, So that's going to be, and I'll mention this a couple of times, but if you just go to betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation, it's in this free constipation guide, how to find Sweet. a craniosacral therapist and visceral manipulation practitioner. Sweet. So that's step one. Okay. My, my life changed. It was like a 180. I would go home after seeing this pelvic floor therapist do these techniques and I would poop and I would sleep. It was like, boom, boom in that order. So poop, take a nap, wake up, feel better. And I came back and I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> that's awesome. Right. Cause yeah. it was different than anything. Nothing else had worked. So She told me what it was. And I thought I missed the boat. You have to become a PT. You have to become a physical therapist or in Canada, a physiotherapist. You have to become one of these people to be able to do these techniques. And I just thought, dang it. I missed my calling. (laughs) And I happened to become a massage therapist, go to massage therapy school. I learned about halfway through that point that um, I could learn these techniques And about a year later, I was still, I was getting off the low FODMAP diet about six months after receiving this work with just that work, nothing else. Cool. The next two steps I'm about to mention, I only discovered about two years after all this happened. You guys want to know the next steps or do you have anything you want to add or thoughts and clarification? I want to move on quickly to what you are going to say. I just want to, I just want to say how really important it is to say that you, you know, you went to someone who had done minimal training right? Minimal training and it, and it still had a, had some, some benefit. And so, yes. so the um, right message at the right time still has a positive effect. And even, even if, an right? imperfect, even like an imperfect, cause I, I don't know if you get this, this too, Allison, but like, I still, I still 
you know, we, you know, Jean Pierre is still studying uh, anatomy in the morning and he's, he treats yes. 22 people a day and he's 86 years old. That's yes. amazing. So I know I'll never be that good. Don't say I'll, that. No, I do know that. It's you okay to be. know that. At 86, you might be that good. I was going to say, no, give, it, give it to 86. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, I, maybe I'll have different gifts. Okay. But my point is, even imperfectly applied, well intended uh, yeah. stuff uh, in the right um, sphere of, of impact, like that's how important this visceral stuff is. That's how important. And I'm gl- like, all your terminology is in Allison. I love it because you're, I think you're so spot on. If you don't touch the physical side of things, man. <clears throat> You're you're missing a massive. I call them therapeutic opportunities or therapeutic yeah. perspectives. This is person who didn't. It wasn't like Jean Pierre Borel. Okay, this person was like, I don't know what to do. Let's try this. I heard. I think it'll work. And so I think that's really important to to highlight that. That is not to say. That's no. Uh, uh, I'm not, not trying to say anything bad about the therapist. I'm actually just trying to say how great uh, this perspective is as part of your assessment and and treatment. Dave's always encouraged me. He was like, touch more bodies, Michelle, obviously in a therapeutic way. Um, and there's been certain, I was like, cause I'm doing more gallbladder stuff too. And he was like, if you feel like it's stuck, cause I'm palpating the common bile duct, the ileocecal valve, the pyloric sphincter looking for things. And he was like, if something's stuck, just throw an acupuncture needle in it. And I did it. I started doing that a few times. So my clients and my clients are like, oh, what was that? And then yeah. one of my clients couldn't burp to save her life and had so much discomfort. She got off the table and she's burped. And she was like, that's weird. I never burp. And then she felt relief. And I was and like, okay, we're just going to, I don't, yeah. I'm still figuring it out, but we're just going to keep trying. <laughs> Burping, and now this stomach- patient, sorry. Oh. And now this patient has hope. Yeah. And that's, that's very, very important. And if yeah. anyone, like if a clinician's listening, listen up, because if you can get some, some sort of traction in the right direction, that an experience like that then now this patient has hope and all the other stuff you're going to do is going to, is going to work better. Right. So it's called yeah. practice I mean, for a reason, guys, you just have to start and just with the right intention and a little yeah. bit can go a long way, basically. Yeah. Okay. Sorry for go the segue, on. Allison. Keep going. Allison, this is good. And, 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 and honestly, I hope when people are listening to this, they're thinking, okay, it's not just one person or two people like every, there are groups, large groups of people who are agreeing on this. The physical body matters when it comes to digestion. You are not just a psychological biochemical being. Yes. You are, you can't just take prokinetics that for once some people know motility matters. They're like, well, I'm on a prokinetic. It's, you know, this supplement you can take that helps move the gut. And it's like, but what if the gut can't move on a physical level. That's so it. you yeah. really want, it, it's something that needs to be addressed. I love but it. Number, number two. So after you've thought about motility or honestly do any of these in any order, but this is my order. Number two, improve digestion. And this I'm talking about digestive enzymes for me and for a lot of clients that I least work with. And I'd be curious, I know Michelle, you mentioned this slightly, Dave and Michelle, be curious what your experience is. I see a lot of people have chronically depleted stomach acid. Yes. Yeah. And and this will actually cause acid reflux. Low stomach acid is a more common cause of acid reflux. So you got this person with IBS who's on the low FODMAP diet who also has acid reflux and they're constipated, right? Uh, that was me at least. Um, but you can have a, a mixture of all these other problems going on. But the digestion problem, what's ha- what happens with low stomach acid a lot of times there might be H. pylori going on. And at least in conventional Western medicine that I've researched, at least how America sees things, uh, American conventional doctors, is H. pylori is not inherently pathogenic. 
in their mind mm-hmm. because they've done all this research and they'll grab yeah. a, a bunch of people and test if they have it and ask these people, do you have any symptoms? Do you feel healthy? And there'll be a bunch of people who have it in their body and feel fine. They're asymptomatic. It's just not a helpful paradigm. And so people, doctors will test my clients that I've worked with if they have H. pylori and basically Western medicine says, if you have less than a certain amount of H. pylori in your body, it's not pathogenic. Mm -hmm. And then they'll be told you don't have H. pylori. But then when I test them with more functional medicine standards, which says basically if there's anything in the body, we're suspicious of it. What if that person is more sensitive to H. pylori? What if that H. pylori is eating their stomach acid, a depleting of them of it? When you have low stomach acid, you now cannot absorb zinc. If you can't absorb zinc into your body, not only are you going to get zinc-related problems like skin problems and a lowered immunity, you're also going to not be able to make your own stomach acid, right? So now you can't digest anything else related to this, including calcium, iron, B12 are highly impacted by low stomach acid. So you're just like exhausted because <laughs> mm-hmm. you don't have the nutrients you need. Yeah. Um, and then of course, any problems with bile and pancreatic enzymes, which are massively impacted by again, physical restrictions, liver congestion, like the liver's overburdened and has too many toxins it's being exposed to from maybe leaky gut or food sensitivities or pathogens like parasites, which I know Michelle cares about. My jam, you're talking my speaking to me now. <laughs> right, right. If you have any of these things going on, it all comes back to digestion. And so with my clients, I work with motility primarily through craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation, I at least evaluate them and decide if that's a component. Work with digestion. This is a two-phase thing. You can phase one, just do some short-term support through, yes, supplements. Do it, right? As long as someone doesn't have H. pylori, you can give them hydrochloric acid. If they do have H. pylori, you want to get rid of that sucker because it will eat the, the, the stomach acid you give to that person and it will get worse. It will get bigger and badder. Right. So you want to get rid of, um, or you want to improve digestion. You want to improve bile production. Primarily for me, I'm thinking cleansing out your liver, things like that. Um, making sure your bile can come out of your gallbladder. If you don't have a gallbladder working with the, the scar tissue from the gallbladder, cause that's going to be impacting your liver's ability to get bile to your small intestine. And then the, anything you can do to support the pancreas, which there's a lot of things going on there, but that's just step number two. Uh, so step one, number one, motility, step number two, digestion. When you digest and pre-digest your food with stomach acid bile and pancreatic enzymes, there's so much less to ferment. Can I also add to the list chewing your food? Yes. I'd say with my clients, that tends not to be like, they're already the, the people that I'm attracting, they're already hypervigilant and like, and I actually need them to maybe stop thinking about chewing their food because they feel so much shame. Like it's, they're just, they must not be chewing enough. Right. Like it's kind of, it's like, they're like, well, should I be chewing 40 times instead of 20? You know, like (laughs) they think that, so it's like just more of anyway. So Mm. that's, that's kind of a a consideration and just Mm -hmm. realizing some people don't think about chewing, but there might be some, be someone listening to this who are like, well, how do you do that, Michelle? What do yeah. I, what's left? Yeah. yeah, no. And it's not everyone. I'm just saying, but I've had some people just like, they just ate fast and then chewing their yeah. food improved their IBS symptoms by 30%. And I was like, great. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So- That's a cheap, simple, fast <laughs> solution, <laughs> right? Because if you don't chew, it makes your stomach work harder too. Right. So yes. Yeah. Right. Anyway, sorry. Continue. No, it's good. I motel and digestion, unless you guys have something else on that or any clarifiers. And and I feel a little bad because when I, when I mentioned this, I, I, I love details. I love details. I don't want your listeners to feel overwhelmed. Like this is so complex. It's actually very simple. 
but I am trying to outline it a little bit more in detail because I do find that at least clients that I tend to work with. So I know there are people out there who are thinking, oh, she mentioned motility, but I, but I take prokinetics. So I need to break that down. Why prokinetics don't work. Well, she mentioned digestion and I already take betaine HCL and I already take uh, digestive enzymes. What else is there? I'm like, well, there there's more. And, mm-hmm. and digestive enzymes are only a short-term solution because long-term you, your body was designed to digest. So you want to work with someone who can say, we want you to be able to actually get off of these digestive enzymes because your body has the zinc, calcium, B12, cl- clean, open liver, you know, open common bile ducts, reduced, you know, physical restrictions in the body that makes this all work. And then you can just live a easeful life. And I, I find that some people even feel healthy, but they're having to work so hard at it. It's basically still a state of disease because Mm -hmm. if you break the word disease down, it's dis-ease. If you're having to work too hard, you're not, you haven't quite hit that, that optimum health state yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I talked about feeling at ease a lot here too, Allison. That's that that word origin is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. You don't, that's, I think that's the thinking behind, and I have to admit, I, I, I kind of was like suspicious, you know, when they started talking about orthorexia about six yes. years ago or something, I was like, come on, man, like you got to be careful with what you're saying, because are you, are you going to be hard on people who are trying to be, you know, uh, be at least some form of diligent in a, in a world that's full of like Wendy's, Mary Brown's and like McDonald's. So, but then I, now I understand a little bit better uh, the wisdom behind uh, concern about that too. Cause yeah, you don't want to be, so hyper vigilant about something that you're in a state of stress while you're eating yeah. perfectly. There's yep. a lot of that too. I know it's a fine balance for it some, for, for depending on the person. It's all really case specific. Yes. And and orthorexia is more more so about the state of the mind. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm somebody who I eat grain free and I don't eat dairy and I really try to avoid, you know, chemical exposure with regards to food to like plastics and um whatever. I, I try to avoid lots of things. I filter water um, and you can do be doing the exact same things, but if you're really stressed out and you're kind of like, am I hurting myself? Or there's the one time you can't filter your water because you're at a hotel or like, and you're kind of panicked, like that's that your bodies, our bodies are designed to be resilient. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah. and we, and when you're chronically sick, you don't feel that way, but as a reminder, and as you are working and as you feel healthier, then you can work on more of the mindset stuff of, mm-hmm. of going back and, and learning to trust, like feel that you can trust your body again, because there, there's a, there's a massive big and loss of trust. And that's kind of a separate thing. It's almost like once you get past these three steps and you are feeling better, then you can start to work there's on, <laughs> on, can I, what, what things can I let go of that? Maybe I don't need to be so, um, vigilant on and yeah. what things maybe can I keep or are helpful for me to keep, but I maybe need to have a new approach to it in mindset. But that's yeah, the orthorexia, like feeling that you need to do everything right. It's a it's a it's a problem that I know I was dealing with because and mainly induced by like, I just want to feel better. Mm-hmm. So let's let's bring it back to let's bring FODMAPs back to sort of the end of of our of our chat here and go now having gone through it fairly vigilantly and determined determinedly for uh for what a year and a half or whatever you did then your whole journey through uh a pelvic floor physic by the way a pelvic floor physio who does uh visceral stuff is a that's a that's a killer combo yeah um and then uh coming out the other side being like uh a healthcare practitioner and i'm gonna give you the tnp uh 
you got your you got your ND degree from us. You, you're like a honorary ND because you got all you, you know what you're doing. And that's so it's so cool to hear you put it all together anyway. So you've got all this journey from 2015 to your honorary TNP ND degree. Um, now, what do you think about FODMAPs and how do you uh, how do you uh, get people to implement it to their advantage or not? I am typically using FODMAPs. Um, the way I'm functionally using it in my practice is I see it as a symptom. Yeah. So mm-hmm. somebody comes in and they say I'm on FODMAPs. I'm like, it's just a part of your symptomology. Yeah. Let's get you off it. I am not the way that the people I'm attracting, they're already, they've already talked to doctors. So they they're typically implementing FODMAPs with the nutritionist and their gastroenterologist. And they're coming to me because they don't feel better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm not typically implementing FODMAPs. I am right. seeing it as a part of their symptomology. Same. Let me come out, come out of left field here. What if someone comes to you and they haven't used FODMAPs? Uh, would you see it as a Uh, a therapeutic or assessment tool to implement ever? It depends. Um, Typically not assessment because I like the shortest route possible and I will just use lab testing. (laughs) If I'm like, well, why does your food and, and, and of course a physical assessment, right? Why does your food ferment in your body? Hmm, You got a parasite. Like I found out I did functional testing and I had blastocystis hominis, a really nasty, common parasite for IBS, people with IBS. And um, so I want to get rid of their parasite. And a lot of times we can just skip the FODMAP thing if if we get if we cut to the chase fast enough with everything else. Um, So I man, I'd say typically I'm not thinking FODMAPs when I'm thinking what could I short term implement when someone's diet to get a win if they get candida on their on their pathogen protocol or on their pathogen stool test or urine test, I will say, let's get away from bone broth and collagen because that's going to, candida breaks down collagen into oxalates and that's going to make you feel worse, right? It's going to add more load to your body. So I'm typically thinking about some other like more weird stuff. I don't know. I just, it's not a tool I find I need to use that often. I'm not like, wow, I've done all these other things with my client and they still don't feel better. I guess I'm going to have to rely on a FODMAP. (laughs) right yeah cool and and that and that gets i didn't get to the third step yet yes i I was going to say that (laughs) i'm basically saying i've said it like 27 times i just haven't said it it's pathogens (laughs) yeah that's it right you can work on you can get all the cranial and visceral you want you could take your digestive enzymes and work on upping your um, stomach acid levels but of course you actually can't do that if you have h pylori which is a pathogen so get tested make sure it's, there's not mold involved, right? Mold sets people up for getting other pathogens like candida and parasites and bacterial overgrowth so much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but work with someone who's really good with pathogens and can see the, the symptomology of pathogens and can line things up and get good testing for you and then give you a really nice protocol that's not going to demolish your bacteria in your gut. So nice pharmaceutical grade herbs is what I'm relying on typically. Um, but but get rid of the pathogen and your body suddenly you get out of this wartime experience for the body where something's aggressively holding you back you just mm-hmm. you can't move forward if those are present and to to this date i worked with over i've worked with over 100 clients and i've only had two people not have pathogens but they had heavy metals <laughs> so yeah. that's just that's been my experience with the population that i've been working with and attracting 
So cool. those are the three things. And then you get off your any, whether it's low FODMAP, any elimination diet that the food's not an inherent food sensitivity. So I've definitely not, I'm not getting people getting off of gluten with this and dairy, like really common irritants with these permanent food sensitivities, but things that are sensitivities you've developed due to leaky gut, you start healing the leaky gut, people get back on the foods, um, you start fixing everything and, and food digests the way it should. Again, you don't yeah. get your symptoms with food. So just for everybody in the audience, uh, the three things are manual therapy to assess like structural as well as functional, um, uh, abilities of the organs. Um, and then working on digestive function itself. So improving like liver, gallbladder health, stomach function, stomach acid, pancreatic enzymes, et cetera. And then the third is to address pathogenic issues that are roadblocks to healing. So those are the three guys. So it's not always FODMAPs can be helpful, but usually not really treating the root cause is basically what we're trying to get at here, right? Can be a part of the process, but it's not the end all be all. So make sure you're working with someone like Allison um, or Dave or myself who are aware of these things <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> to, to begin to move, get all the moving parts working together again. <clears throat> Allison, and, uh, can you, yep. Oh, I was just say for listeners, if, if you're like, well, do I even have low stomach acid? How could I know? Actually in my free guide on constipation, because it's all intertwined. If you go to betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation, you get this free guide and it'll give you a really easy test you can do with baking soda to even just get a ballpark on what yeah. your, your stomach acid levels might be. And so go and check that, that handout also have some just ideas on how to get your motility going, even without craniosacral therapy and visceral manipulation. So check it out. It's just a free resource I wanted to give to your listeners. Can you give us the link for that resource again for our listeners? Yeah. Betterbellytherapies.com slash constipation. And it's belly singular and then therapies, plural, better belly therapies. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. Allison, thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate you bringing this discussion to the forefront. Um, we've talked about SIBO before and like FODMAPs and stuff, but I like that you really brought in the motility aspect and how the organ functions and the health of the organ, not and even the innervation to the organ um, as another topic to, to think about or another area to really focus on or consider when working on digestive health. So I appreciate you bringing that to the table for everybody. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on, Allison. I think we can. Um, uh, I think we can book again sometime. Uh, I've I've already got some ideas, but that was already <laughs> insightful enough. And uh, maybe I'll see it another visceral course soon. Yeah, Dave, Michelle, thanks so much for having me on. It's been great. Yeah, okay. we loved it. <laughs>